for a bit longer, uh, then let's take our Bibles and turn to John 13. We started uh, in John 13 last week, and this morning we'll begin at verse 18, kind of in the middle of a, of a thought there, but uh, we'll just jump in at verse 18 and read down through the rest of chapter 13, and then we'll spend a few moments together in this passage of Scripture. These are God's words for us this morning. And uh, here's what God says. Verse 18, speaking of Judas, he says this, I am not speaking of all of you. I know whom I have chosen, but the scripture will be fulfilled. He who ate my bread has lifted his heel against me. I'm telling you this now, before it takes place, That when it does take place, you may believe that I am He. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever receives the one I send receives me, and whoever receives me receives the one who sent me. After saying these things, Jesus was troubled in His spirit and testified Truly, truly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. The disciples looked at one another, uncertain of whom Jesus spoke. One of his disciples, whom Jesus loved, was reclining at the table close to Jesus. So Simon Peter motioned to him to ask Jesus of whom he was speaking. So that the disciple, leaning back against Jesus, said to him, Lord, who is it? Jesus answered, It is the one whom I will give this morsel of bread when I have dipped it. So when he had dipped the morsel, he gave it to Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. Then after he had taken the morsel, Satan entered into him. Jesus said to him, What you are going to do, do quickly. Now, no one at the table knew why he said this to him. Some thought uh, because Judas had the money bag, Judas was telling him, uh, buy what you need for the feast or that he should give something to the poor. So after receiving the morsel of bread, he immediately went out and it was night. When he had gone out, Jesus said, Now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and glorify him at once. Little children, yet a little while I am with you. You will seek me, just as I said to the Jews, so now... I also say to you, where I am going, you cannot come. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. 
Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? And and Jesus answered him, where I'm going, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow me afterwards. Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. Jesus answered, will you lay down your life for me? Truly, truly, I say to you, the cock will not crow till you have denied me three times. You may be seated. Thank you, Father, for your word. We, we, know, we know and we acknowledge this morning that there is no word like your word. It is true. It is beautiful. It is living. It is powerful. It is active. And our prayer is that while we take the next few moments to look more closely at some of what we've just read, that you, by your Spirit, would be stirring in our hearts and in our lives. For we ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, in these verses that we've just read, the first thing I would want us to do is I would want us to draw our eyes, first of all, to verses 34 and 35. Everything that we want to try to do and say and think about this morning really ought to flow out of of, uh, of those two verses. It's really kind of the, the, the apex of this unit that we've just read. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you, you are also to love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Two things I want us to think about is first of all, in this passage, we see something of love revealed. And then certainly, as we've just read, we see something of love required. We are to love one another. That is our Lord's directives for us, His people, His disciples, His followers. And, and, and yet, and, and yet that, that's not the first place we ought to run as to the requirement, the command, the duty that we have to love one another, because as he has said here, we are to love one another as he has loved us. So the first place that we need to set our minds and our hearts to grasp and understand is what is being revealed to us in this passage. Now, I say in this passage, Um, we are, on the one hand, not restricted to simply look at this passage to consider Christ's love for his people, and yet we don't have all day. Um, uh, This is Father's Day. Someone's making barbecue for me, and so I've got got places to go uh, and things to do. And, um, and, uh, but, but, we could see just from this immediate passage uh, enough to at least get us going in the right thought, in right direction this morning. We can consider the, the depth and the degree of Jesus' love because however it is that he loves us and however it is that you and I see and experience and feel his love for us is to the degree that you and I will not only have the moral example we need to love one another, but we will will have the divine grace and enablement to do what we are asked to do here in this passage, to love one another. 
And so we want to first spend a few moments seeing maybe a couple of things in this passage as to how Christ's love for his people is being revealed. And, and the reason why it's so crucial that we get this is because we had this, um, we had this common um, erroneous notion in our Christian community today that you and I are incapable of loving others well because we are just empty love cups. Now that I would, I, you know, I'd, I'd like to love you, but I, I am depleted. I'm empty. My love cup is empty. Uh, and, and, and I'm incapable of loving you well because my cup, my love cup, is not runneth over, uh, but it is runneth out. And that's, you see why it's so crucial that we understand that we don't come into this equation as empty love cups. If we see the revealed love of Christ, if we grasp the love of Christ, then, then, then our love cup, our souls are not dry and perched and devoid of love. We, we, uh, we, we are not people who are incapable of giving love. We are the people who have been filled with God's love in Christ Jesus. And out of having our souls uh, washed and, and filled with the love of Christ, it's in that context that we can hear what he says to us. Now, as I have loved you, as I have filled you with my love, Love one another. By this you show that you are my disciples. By this I would suggest, let me, let me just add, by this I would show that you are my well-loved disciples. Because you are now capable, you are now eager to love one another. So let me say a couple of things. And really in our scripture I would divide it into two segments. Um, verses 18 through 30. Um, we see something of Christ's love for us in what's going on between him and Judas. He's touched on Judas earlier in chapter 13. We saw a couple of things about this last week. Um, but, 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 But particularly the focus of 18 through 30 is on Judas and of his work of betrayal. Now, most work of betrayal succeeds when it goes undetected. In other words, if, if you, if, 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 if betrayal really works best on the element of surprise. You say, why are you teaching us about the art of betrayal? Well, well anyway, I just, uh, I just for, for, for a moment I am. I don't really want you to learn much about betrayal because, in fact, you and I probably already know enough to make us experts at this. Um, but, um, but if, if I know that you're about to betray me, if you know that I'm about to betray you, then, then the, the cat's out of the bag, the secret's over, and the element of surprise, which, which, which is so crucial for true betrayal, is, uh, is, is been negated. But here, do, do you see something incredible here? J- Judas has cooked up a betrayal against Jesus, and guess who knows this? Jesus is well aware of what Judas has been cooking up, what he's been hatching, how he has gone behind Jesus' back and sold him out for 30 pieces of silver. This, this heinous activity here is something that Jesus is fully aware of. 
In, a, in, a, in that sense, the, the betrayal and the hurt of that betrayal has started before the betrayal has ever been fully implemented yet. I mean, it's, it's one thing for me to hurt you by betraying you. It's another thing for you to know in advance that I'm going to hurt you by betraying you. The hurt already began. In other words, the, Jesus is already feeling the acute pain of being betrayed by one of his closest followers. Think about it. When, when you have been betrayed, think about where your focus goes next. And I say that to mean not just you. This is your problem. I say, think about, I think about my own self. And, and when I have felt betrayed by, by someone, I, 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 whenever I feel betrayed or whenever we feel betrayed, it's just natural that we go inward. All systems are on heightened alert for self-defense and self-protection. And that's where you see something of the beauty of Christ's love for his people. At this moment, when the natu- it seems like at least the natural inclination of the human soul is to go inward and to focus just upon myself and to focus upon the, the hurt that I feel and the betrayal that, I, that I've received and, 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 and everything, be- everything becomes revolving around me and my hurts and my feelings, but... but, but But the focus at this moment, knowing what's being cooked up in this betrayal, the focus of Jesus at this moment is is his love for his people. Not um, uh, not how this betrayal will hurt him, uh, but how, how in fact, through the love that he has for his people, how this betrayal will actually be turned on its head and result in the saving work of his people. Jesus is displaying, as he's displayed all throughout his life, his complete confidence in his Father. And that complete confidence in his Father is being translated into his absolute love for his people. And so he won't go there what's natural to go. He won't go there. He won't turn inward and think about self-protection at this moment. But he will... Well, do you realize that on the one hand, wicked people crucified Jesus. But do you realize, on the other hand, no one took his life? Do you realize that not only does he know what's going on here at this moment, but he has the power to stop it right there? Do you know why he won't stop it right there? Because he loves you. Isn't that an amazing thing? At the the moment when, when, when we are most tempted to turn inward because we've been hurt and betrayed by others, Jesus goes outward even further. He tells us, even as this beginning of this chapter, that, 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 he, that he, he loved them to the end. And that is what he is demonstrating here. You remember when, when they finally, later that evening, and Matthew records this, they, they arrested Jesus in the garden. And you remember, of course, Peter threw out, grew out the sword and cut some, kids, some guy's ear off, and Jesus put the ear back on, and, and, and he said, 
in essence, he said, you know what? I could stop this whole thing right here. I could ask my father for 12 legions of angels. Jesus has the power to stop what is about to unfold, but he won't let it be stopped because he loves his people. In fact, even I'm mystified that after he breaks the bread and hands it to Judas, and, 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 then, and then it says, and then Satan entered Judas. Now, I don't, I don't know all that that means and looks like, um, and, uh, but, but even at that moment, I want you to see something incredible. Even as Judas ha- has been um, taken over, if you would, by Satan, do you know who's still in charge at that moment? Jesus turns to him and commands him, whatever you're going to do, do it quickly. And Judas obeys him. I mean, he's got the power and the authority to even tell Satan what to do. Do you see something of this love here that he has for you and I this morning? He he chooses to put our good above his own. The other thing I want us to note even quickly, even more quickly here is is, um, something that he says in verse 21. Of our passage. Now, after he said these things, Jesus was troubled in his spirit. And this is important to understand because even though Jesus is the Son of God, he's fully man. And uh, you know what? Not that I've really been there and done that, but I would suspect that if I'm fully aware that I'm about to be betrayed and about to be crucified, uh, I'm going to be a little bit worried about that. I'm going to be troubled in my heart. And, and we're seeing a glimpse of the humanity of Jesus. We're, and, and yet we're seeing that, that, that his love for his people is such that he is gladly willing to absorb troubles and worries in our place. Do you get that? I mean, in fact, ironically, don't go there yet because this is next week, Lord willing, but he'll say in the early part of chapter 14, let not your hearts be troubled. It's the same word. In other words, what Jesus is saying to his people is, don't you be troubled. I am troubled for you. Don't you feel the overwhelming intensity of what is going on circumstantially around us. I've got that for you. There's something so acutely indicative about love that love wishes to absorb the troubles of another. And we see our Lord, even on this day, you say, what's he up to lately? Do you realize that our Lord on this day, even as we're here in this room, he is at his Father's right hand interceding for us. In other words, he's still absorbing our troubles and taking our troubles before our Father's throne on our behalf. Now, now you can take it before the Father's throne too, but he's doing that for, he says, I, you, you're troubled, you're troubled, I love you, give me those troubles. I know this is Father's Day, and, and I just maybe a shout-out to fathers. I think of my own father. I think of the fact that my father demonstrated 
something of this kind of love in that he leveraged his entire life absorbing troubles on behalf of his family. And I think, about, I think about the kids and the people in this world who, who've never been able to witness such a, a critter like that. And I think of how my life is different because I got to experience that, and by the grace of God, I, I, got, to, I got to recognize that. That's what love does. And that's particularly what Christ's love does. He says, I'm giving you a heads up. This is, what's, this is what's going down. Don't you worry about it. Let me worry about it. And I don't, now, sometimes we, we use that line in a very condescending way. You know, it, it, you know it, there's been times around the house that I've, I've, I've not you know, gotten certain chores done that I'm supposed to get done. And so Diane will kind of bring it up again. Uh, I know this doesn't happen in your house, but she'll bring it up again, and I'll say something like, don't you worry about that. You let me worry about that. I, I, don't, I, don't, mean, I don't mean that Jesus is saying that in that way. That's kind of, a, that's kind of me being a knucklehead, but, uh, but, but, but Jesus is saying, let me absorb this trouble for you. Even today, I hope that you see something of the Lord that he's at, at the Father's right hand, Offering to absorb your troubles for you. The other thing I would just say quickly then is, um, and then skipping over to the tail end of our reading from verses 36 to 38, uh, another example of Jesus' love. Just a quick little s- snapshot. And, you know, this is when Peter, you know, Peter thinks he's manning up and says, where, where are you going? Why can't I follow you? I'm going to go with you. I mean, man, you count on me, dude. I'm going to lay down my life for you. Really? Now, of course, it's no different than the other guys as well, uh, than Peter, but uh, they, they all run and hide here in a little bit from Jesus. Um, but, but, but Jesus clarifies a couple of things with Peter here and says, Now, Peter, this is what's really up. Um, before the night's out, you will have denied me three times. You ever try to love people that aren't very lovely? You ever try to love people that are fickled in their love? Do, do, do you see something of the, the greatness, the beauty of Jesus' love for Peter? He's honest with Peter. Peter, this is not going to work this way. Um, you, you know, you're all talk and not very much walk. But Peter... You're mine. I love you. I'll be back for you after you deny me three times. Some of us haven't presented um, uh, a, a lot to love. <laughs> I know I should speak for myself, but I, I, I have suspicion that sometimes you're a lot like me. Some of us haven't presented uh, a, 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 an incredible lovability before the Lord. But you know what? That's not how this works with the Lord. He does not love you and I rooted and grounded in our own innate lovability. He loves you and I because he loves you and I. 
He loves you and I, knowing in advance that you and I, when push comes to shove, we're going to be weak-kneed and wobbly. And he loves you. So, that's something of what's revealed just briefly in this passage about Jesus' love for us. It's a love that puts our good above his own. It's a love that absorbs our troubles in our place. It's a love that is undeterred by our fickled loyalty to him. Now, so what are we to do? A new command I give to you. Love one another just like I've been loving you. You see why it's important to to understand something of his love for us, not only so we have a snapshot of the example we are to follow, but I would suggest to you it's more than an example. It is is the endowment of the very grace that fills our hearts, that we are not left empty. Or look at it this way. What are you to do this week? What, What are you to do in this crazy COVID-19 world that, that as the summer full unfolds, it's even crazier with, with all that is going on in our nation. What has our Lord asked us to do? I say that to say because it, I, my fear is that many today, many of us even today, who name the name of Jesus have justified a way to be angry and unloving. Not hearing what our brother James has said to us, that the anger of man does not bring about the righteousness, the justice of God. would suggest that many of us are tempted to be angry and unloving because we're just completely flustered and frustrated. Our goal has been blocked. It's proven to be unattainable once again. And I would suggest to you that it's probably because we have a goal that is not commensurate with our Lord's command for us. We have grown up in a culture today that it seems like the prime directive for us is to change the world. Mm. I'm going to change the world. I'm going to go to college. I'm going to get a job. I'm I'm going to change the world. Now, on the one hand, I I love that, that aspiration. On the other hand... I just ask the simple question, is that what our Lord has commanded us to do? We have a real big directive right here in this passage that we've just read. And you couple that with another directive he gives after his resurrection. And I would suggest to you that our prime directive is to love fellow disciples and to disciple the nations. Now, you want to know a little secret? 
if you and I were obsessed with those commands and eager to carry out those commands, I think the world might change a little bit. But on the other hand, I'll say this. Changing the world is what Jesus is doing and will do completely upon his return. My goodness, he tells us it's going to be a whole new heaven and a whole new earth. You talk about change the world. But in the meantime, he's said to his people, I want you to love fellow disciples And then I want you to go and make more disciples to love. Change the world. Love the brethren. Disciple the nations. So what that entails is just, first of all, just this. I mean this kind of rhetorically. You don't have to really do this. But look around for a minute. Look around. The people that are in this room, and I know I say that to say I I preface this because I know with uh, COVID, some of our beloved members are not here in this room just yet, and I include them as well. So in your mind's eye, look around for them as well. But look around the room. Look at our members. The first directive our Lord gives to us, gives to us as his well-loved children, is that we would love each other. That we would put the good of each other above our own. That we would be willing to absorb the troubles of others um, uh, in their place. And, 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 And that we would love others even when they show themselves to be fickled kind of categories in which Jesus loves us. And that as we look around the room and love each other, then in that context, we look around the community. And I mean the community in tangible ways. I mean the people you work with and the, the people that are a part of your family and the, and, and, the, and the people that are at your school or the people in your neighborhood and see how you could show them Jesus. And begin to help them to grasp what it means to be a follower of Jesus. But it starts here in this room. I listened to a, a book on tape this week. Oh, man, it was another great book. Um, it was, it's entitled Boys in the Boat. And you may have heard it. You may have read it. But it's, it's the story of the 1936 U.S. Olympic men's eight-oar rowing team. And the book particularly focuses upon the life of of one gentleman, a guy named Joe uh, Rance. And all the boys in this boat were just hardworking, poor, uh, uh, blue-collar kids. And uh, and they they were all a part of the University of Washington rowing team. But as as it focuses upon Joe Rance, who grew up in Squim, Washington... It tells a bit more about his own backstory. At age three, his mother died. A few years later, his dad remarried. And by age nine, his stepmother didn't want him in that house anymore and had him removed. At age nine, he bounced around from an older brother to other kinfolk. To, and by age 15, he was literally living on his own, having to 
do for himself. He learned how to fend for himself. He learned how to look out for just himself. Now, a few years later, he's on the University of Washington rowing team. He's stout, he's big, he's muscular, he's strong, so he's a powerful member of that rowing team. But, but there was a gentleman named George Pocock. George was actually a British uh, gentleman, s- several years older than the young men on the rowing team, and, and he lived there at the University of Washington, and he made... Um, Oh, what do you call the, the shells? He made the shells, which is the boats that you row in. So, and, uh, and so, but he, he took a particular interest in the University of Washington rowing team, and particularly interest in Joe, and he watched Joe as he would show up for practice and row. And one day he, he pulled Joe aside and said, you know, you are, you are incredible in strength as a rower. But this rowing team will not succeed unless you change. It is not just your strength that will cause this team to row well. You have to row in harmony with the rest of your team. You have to know the other members of your team. You have to care for them. You have to love them so that you see yourself as one with them. That's a hard thing to do for a young man who in essence, was orphaned. And all he knew to do was to look out for himself and fend for himself. But you know, caring for others ought not to be a hard thing for us as followers of Jesus. Because you know what? Because of Christ, we're not orphans left to fend for ourselves. Just let that sink in. On Father's Day, through the shed blood of Jesus, you are not an orphan. On Father's Day, isn't it a wonderful thing that that the highest name and title that belongs to the God of the Scriptures is Father of our Lord Jesus Christ? And Father to all who belong to the Lord Jesus Christ. As well loved children, it ought to not be an impossible task to love the others whom we are in the same boat with. Father, thank you. Thank you for your word. But most of all, thank you for how your word orients us, instructs us, instills in us by your spirit a reality and a confidence in the love of Christ. So, Father, may we, as we respond this morning, may we do so seeing how well loved we are. And may that alter how we live this week. And Father, for those who have never, ever really for the first time come to grips with the love of God in Christ Jesus, may they see that love this morning. May their eyes be open to a Savior who has shed his blood for all who would trust in him. For we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Let's sing.